0: Many people are using the FaithFi app to help provide the wisdom, community, and money management to stay on track financially speaking. To date, over 37,000 members are using its digital envelope system, participating in our community forums, and engaging in virtual workshops. And one of the most convenient features is the ability to keep all your accounts in one place for an easy at a glance view. You can choose from one of three options depending on your management style, and it's available on desktop or mobile. Go to faithfi.com and click app to get started.
1: politics is by its very nature controversial perhaps none more so than the administration's move to forgive student loan debt i am rob west student loan forgiveness is popular among the millions of americans who owe more than 1.7 trillion for their education but it has its detractors our guest jerry boyer among them we'll talk about it today and then it's on to your calls at 800 800- Five two five seven thousand. That's 800 525 This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Well, our resident economist, Jerry Boyer, joins us again today. He's a columnist at the Christian Post and author of The Maker versus The Takers, what Jesus really said about social justice and economics. Jerry, great to have you back with us
2: always a pleasure to be with you.
1: Jerry, before we get into the forgiveness part of this story, uh, let's talk about the debt itself. I mentioned $1.7 trillion in student loan debt. Uh, is that a bubble, Jerry, waiting to burst?
2: Well, that's the enabler of the bubble. Uh, so I, I happen to think that college uh, has become a bubble to some degree in 2008, mm. 2009, when the housing bubble was bursting. I was doing a lot of speaking engagements and sometimes people would ask, well, what's the next bubble? And yeah. I said, higher education. Um, mm. and I think that's actually turned out to be, you know, pretty much true. The cost went up and up and up without the value going up as much. In addition, there was a move towards kind of a secular approach, which was very hostile to Christian values for a lot of schools. So, uh, you know, basically it became a lower-quality product because there was a lot of indoctrination going on and a more expensive product, um, and it was creating you know people who were qualified for jobs that were going away um, and not training people for the jobs that we have a shortage of, like things like welders, mm-hmm. etc. So I think there was a college bubble, debt— Enables bubbles debt is the yes. thing that gets blown into bubbles to make them into bubbles,
1: yeah, so easy money and the proliferation of student debt is really at the core of the bubble you 're describing, right
2: yes, absolutely. The government basically lending regardless of people 's credit worthiness uh, using easy money created by the fed that that 's where bubbles come from. now government policy says here 's where the bubble's going to go, so if there was a lot of policy that was really pushing housing, like we want to get to 70% home ownership rates in America, no matter what the credit quality, well, that determined that a bubble formed in housing. Well, the shift was we got everyone's got to get a college education. You're nobody if you're not a college grad, which, of course, is nonsense. You can't earn a decent living unless you're a college grad. And that determined that the easy money would go into college. So that's where that's why the bubble formed there this time.
1: That's helpful. All right, Jerry, help us understand the scope of what the administration is proposing here. It's not to forgive all of the debt, is it?
2: No, there's some means testing going on. There's some debt that the government doesn't have any direct control over. um, And there are also some limits. It's a lot of debt, Um, you know, could be half a trillion dollars that we're talking about. Um, But it's not all of it. Um, But it's enough to make a difference in terms of changing people's incentives, and it's enough to make a difference in terms of uh, the order of magnitude of the federal deficits.
1: Yeah, just about a minute till our next break, Jerry. Of course, we've been rocked by inflation during the past year. What would forgiving that much, you said almost half a trillion, perhaps, uh, in outstanding loans due to inflation and the national debt?
2: Well, the government owns a lot of this debt, which means it's a source of revenues for them. So if they're getting rid of a source of revenues um, and they're not decreasing their spending accordingly, then that means more borrowing. And the way our system is currently working is a lot of the new borrowing by government is being done by the direct creation of money rather than people investing in treasuries. The Fed, the central bank, is the biggest <laughs> investor in treasuries. So yeah. I wouldn't say it's a, lo- it's a big event in terms of inflation, in terms of the order of magnitude, but it is inflationary.
1: Yeah, I think that's key to understand here, especially during a time where everything is focused on getting inflation under control. Here we are proposing something that is at its core inflationary, right?
2: That's right. And what we're seeing out of Washington is every piece of legislation has anti-inflation slapped on it, uh, especially the pieces of legislation that are actually pro-inflation. Mm,
1: Interesting. We're talking student loan debt and the administration's proposal related to it. Is it constitutional? And what is a biblical perspective on this? How should we think about this in light of a biblical worldview? We're talking with Jerry Boyer today, columnist at World Opinions, author, and our resident economist. Much more to come just around the corner. Stay with us on faith and finance. We'll be right back. If you enjoy this radio program, you're going to love all of the many different resources waiting for you at faithfi.com. You'll find more powerful wisdom, podcasts, articles, videos, and more from partners like the National Christian Foundation, Sound Mind Investing, and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Connect with the community of thousands of Christians striving to be good and faithful stewards and check out all of the free biblical financial
2: advice at faithfi.com. What if buying groceries, gas, or dining out could help change lives? With Christian Community Credit Unions, cards that give to missions, you can help spread the gospel, combat human trafficking, and protect vulnerable children with every purchase at no cost to you. Apply for your card today. More information is available at joinchristiancommunity.com. That's joinchristiancommunity.com. The Credit Union is an underwriter of this ministry. Membership eligibility required.
1: Great to have you with us on Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. With me today, Jerry Boyer, our resident economist and the author of The Maker Versus the Takers, what Jesus really said about social justice and economics. We're talking today about student debt and the forgiveness proposal uh, put out by the Biden administration. Uh, Jerry, we talked about uh, the effects of this forgiveness, which could be as much as a half a trillion dollars. Uh, Let's talk about the constitutionality of it. Uh, Most opponents of this plan maintain it's, in fact, unconstitutional. What's your take on that?
2: Yeah, I think that's true, and it has had trouble in the courts, um, and the courts aren't necessarily often strict uh, constructionists when it comes to the Constitution, so they can be kind of easy on unconstitutional laws, uh, and yet they've struck down parts of this. One of the issues is separation of powers. Who's in charge of spending? That's the House of Representatives, which is focused on the power of the purse. But the deeper issue is enumerated powers, which is the federal government of whatever branch only has the power to do the things that are explicitly enumerated, listed out yeah. uh, in the Constitution. And there's nothing like this. And the problem isn't just the forgiving of the debt. The problem is being the holder of the debt. For the federal government to be a student lending agency is itself unconstitutional. Um, then to go on, I think uh, it adds insult to injury to then just arbitrarily by presidential fiat forgive a major part of that loan.
1: Yeah. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court is supposed to take this up, perhaps in the next month or so. So we'll be watching that closely. Uh, Jerry, if student loan forgiveness is upheld, what message does that send to folks who've already paid off their loans?
2: Well, we have to distinguish between the message it sends and the message we should receive. The message it sends is you're a fool if you pay off your debts. I would not receive that message. However, I would say that somebody who paid off their debts wasn't foolish, because they practiced good character and they learned self-discipline. So it may seem like somebody who went for a four or increasingly it's a five or six year party, uh, in something that doesn't give you any decent income, uh, with a lot of easy classes and they had a good time and then most of it got, you know, got paid off. They didn't get away with anything because they lived with profligacy and they didn't get the character forming implications of borrowing and then repaying. So it's, it sends the wrong message, but we don't have to receive that message.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. Uh, Jerry, is this fair to taxpayers?
2: Well, no, of course not, right? No. Because it's the taxpayers' money. And and this is the thing that's kind of odd. You know, Biden didn't, President Biden didn't forgive debts because it wasn't owed to him. <laughs> yeah. It was owed to the American taxpayers. That's our money, so the Bible speaks positively about forgiving debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, for example. And I happen to think that that's really about forgiving debts, not just sins. Yes, there's sins too, but I think Jesus actually talks about forgiving debts as well. But that's forgiving money owed to you. If I forgave some, if I loaned someone money for college and then forgave the debt, that's biblical. It's optional, but it's also biblical. But the president is forgiving debts owed to us, yeah. So he's kind of forgiving on our behalf. That's not the biblical concept of debt forgiveness.
1: Yeah, that's helpful, Jerry. Let's talk about the biblical concept. A lot of folks are equating this to the Jubilee that we see in the Old Testament. But I know you've said to me, Jerry, you don't think that's the right analogy, right?
2: No, I think it's the opposite. You, I mean, in Torah, right, uh, you have Deuteronomy 15, which has debt forgiveness laws. And you have Leviticus 25, et cetera. Um But those were done in contrast to the way it was done by the empires around Israel. And in the empires around Israel, a new emperor would come in, and he would issue debt forgiveness, and that would make him popular. Um, that's That seems to be more like what we're seeing now, a Babylonian model. I think the president is doing more like the Babylonian model than the Torah model. The Torah model is when you lend to somebody, you know in advance it's not going to go more than seven years. So you can take that into account. Um, it tends to be for the poor. And again, you're the one forgiving it. It's not a presidential or a decree or a kingly decree. It's there in Torah and the king of israel doesn't have a thing to say about it it's kept out of his authority so i would say what we're seeing now with debt forgiveness from the executive which is more like the monarchy is a lot more like the pagan babylonian model than it is the biblical model of debt forgiveness
1: interesting so if you were to look to scripture where do you see the most clear parallel to what's going on here
2: i would say the parable of the unfaithful steward uh, who was too old to dig ditches and too ashamed to beg, but he didn't do his job very well, and he needed favor. So he forgave debts that weren't his debts in order to curry favor with people. That is not a positive example. That's why it's no. called the unfaithful steward. He is called shrewd, right? So there's a smartness to it, but it's not moral. So in this particular case, when politicians get in trouble, and this, this is not just President Biden. This goes back thousands of years. When politicians get in trouble, they – Issue debt decrees that don't cost them anything uh, because somebody else's debt is being forgiven. And I think that the parable of the unfaithful steward is really a pretty well perfect parallel to uh, what the president recently did.
1: Interesting. Jerry, so would you say then that neither the Old or the New Testament are supportive of this?
2: Right, because the Old and New Testament are not in conflict with one another. There's one God. Right, The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, yeah. and if you look at that and say, oh, that doesn't seem right to me, then you need to read them both more carefully. So no, the Bible does not support this. If we had a system, um, where, if there's a voluntary um, forgiveness of debt, um, then that would be biblical. We could even have a system that puts limits on debt, like Torah does. Now, I don't think that Torah is obligatory for nations other than ancient Israel, but you could still have something built on that model— um, you'd know in advance, oh, it's the fifth year, so this is not going to be fully paid back, um, and it would all be legal. There'd be no presidential decrees. You could have a system like that. We could talk about the benefits of a system like that, putting a limit on debt, but that's not what we're doing. We're basically currying favor from a president who is being seen negatively in terms of the economy, who is pleasing part of his economic base, young people with call it, with high college debt, And that is the opposite of the biblical approach.
1: So, Jerry, as we put a bow on this, what would you say to someone who's listening today? They're a believer. They want to be faithful and honoring the Lord with his money. They owe some debt. This would be helpful to them. But there's a stirring in their spirit about this and just wondering whether or not to accept it. How would you help them process that decision?
2: Well, that's a good question because our Christians have to impose on themselves the burden of not— benefiting from government programs which are unconstitutional. I would say we don't, but what they might want to do is redeem that money and say, well, okay, uh, this program is not proper. I'm not going to personally benefit, so maybe that goes into God's economy. So maybe the debt forgiveness um, is something that they use to give more to the kingdom. Now, of course, if their conscience are bothered by it, like meat sacrifice to idols, then they could just turn that down and keep sending checks to the government to pay off that debt. Uh, I would say that's a conscience issue, though. I, I do not think it's immoral um to say get may, maybe somebody thinks that Social Security is not constitutional. Well, I don't think that makes it immoral to get your Social Security check because you're forced to participate in that program. So we don't pull out of the world. There are certain detriments, high taxes, whatever. There are certain benefits. So I think that this is a matter of individual conscience, but kind of a redeeming approach might be I don't like it. I'm not going to spend it on myself. I'm going to spend it on the kingdom.
1: Mm, Yeah, very interesting. All right. Well, that's a good place to leave it, Jerry. Always appreciate your insights, my friend, and your ability to look at these issues of today through the lens of scripture. Thanks for stopping by. My
2: pleasure. God bless.
1: Economist and faith and finance contributor Jerry Boyer has been our guest today. You can read his posts at World Opinions. Your calls are next, 800-525-7000. We'll be right back.
0: What's most important to you when it comes to choosing your financial advisor? Someone who's aligned with your biblical values? How about someone who will take the time to explain your options? Certified Kingdom Advisors are professionals who meet high standards in competence and integrity and have been trained to offer biblical financial advice. To find a certified kingdom advisor in your area, visit faithfi.com and click Find a CKA. We are grateful for support from Praxis Mutual Funds. Praxis Mutual Funds has seven impact strategies that are designed to create positive, real-world change. More information is available at praxismutualfunds.com. The fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses are contained in the prospectus and summary prospectus. This and other information is available at PraxisMutualFunds.com. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Foresight Fund Services, LLC.
1: So glad you've joined us today on Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West, your host, and I'd love to tackle your financial questions. Here's the number, 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. Uh, to Chicago. Hey, Bernie, go right ahead, sir.
2: Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was just wondering, like, what do you do with credit cards when you don't want them anymore, but they have a zero balance, but without hurting your credit?
1: Yeah, you, you put the oven on 400, put them on a cookie sheet, and stick them in. And that's uh, usually... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so here's the thing. I mean, I love the fact that, uh, you know, if you're not using these cards, you'd systematically over time want to pair back the number of cards that are available to you because that's just less to keep up with, uh, one less account that could be compromised. If you're concerned about your credit score because you're about to go qualify for a mortgage or buy a car, then you may want to give some thought to it. And here's what you would consider. Number one, are you carrying a balance on any other cards? And if you are, uh, then by closing this account, that pulls that limit that's unused out of the mix, which makes your total credit utilization and uh higher if you're not carrying a balance on any cards, meaning you're paying it off every month, then that's not a factor. The second would be your credit history. So if if these cards that you're no longer using are some of your older cards, and all the ones you're currently using are, are newer, that might slightly affect your credit score to the negative because you're pulling some of these older accounts out of the mix, which is a part of the the credit scoring formula. So those would be the two primary factors. Um, any of those would be a temporary uh, you know hit to your credit, and it would be minor. So again, if you're not out looking for new credit, it's probably not an issue. If you had six cards to close, I'd probably say let's do three in, in the next six months and then three in the following six months. Um but you know that's probably my perspective on it. Does that make sense? Oh yeah thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You got a great show. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Bernie. I appreciate that. Uh quickly to Tampa, Florida. Hey Carrie, how can I help you?
0: so I was in a long-term marriage of 26 years. Unfortunately, it did end in divorce, and I've been told that when it comes time to draw Social Security, that I have the option of um, tapping into his Social Security, which should be significantly more than what I've put into Social Security. I was wondering how that works, and is that true, especially with him getting remarried now?
1: Yeah, his marital status doesn't have anything to do with your ability to collect. So the question is going to be getting his marital benefit. As long as you were married for at least 10 years uh, and he qualifies uh, for benefits at least 62 years of age, then you're entitled to up to 50% as a spousal benefit. Now, if you remarry, that goes away with a few exceptions. But if, if you okay. don't remarry and he does, his remarriage has no bearing on you. The question is going to be which is better for you, 50% of his benefit as a spousal benefit or your own work record. But I think what is the best next step for you, Carrie, is to connect with the Social Security Administration and get them to explain which benefit would be better based on your work record. They'd be happy to meet with you. Uh, Evie, thank you for your question today. Go right ahead.
0: Thank you so much, Rob, and I want to thank you for your program. I I listen to you regularly and I really appreciate the information that you've given. Um, Thank you. I am going to be, I, I'm selling some land. I'm going to be getting a substantial sum of money for it. Um, right, I'm 75. I only have about 15000 right now in savings because I used up all of my 401k, um, mm. taking care of my mom to keep okay. her at home. Mm. So I am still working. Right now, but I hope to retire soon after I sell this land. Questions uh, for you are number one, it is a substantial sum of money. Of course, I'm going to be um, hiding it. Am I better off to create an annuity, not paying to me, but paying to the church, where the money continues then to, to keep going to the church? And how can I best? I certainly expect to pay my taxes, plan to pay my taxes, um, but I would prefer to not have to overpay.
1: Yes, of course. We don't want you to pay any more, and I love that you want to be generous with a portion of this. Uh, If you don't mind me asking, Evie, what do you expect in the way of proceeds?
0: It's going to be close, I think, to
1: $500,000. Okay yeah so a significant uh, sum of money, uh, no doubt uh have you already sold the property? uh no,
0: we just we have an agreement we haven't closed, but we expect to close. I had already sold some property a couple of years ago to this same person who is now buying the rest. It's a farm. I'm keeping my home and several acres around it. Um, okay. I don't have a mortgage yep. um, I do have debt right now that I have basically been covering through my work.
1: Yeah, very good. Uh are you gonna play pay quite a bit in capital gains, do you know? I'm I'm
0: concerned that I will have to pay a lot in capital gain, yes, because if I were selling the house with it,
1: it would be my primary residence.
0: Yeah. But I'm not. I'm just yeah. selling acreage.
1: Well, the reason I ask, uh, Evie, is you certainly could consider a charitable gift annuity, but one other uh, tool that you may not have thought of, it would require you to transfer a portion of this property into what's called a donor advised fund before the sale. But essentially, you'd give it away to your donor advised fund before you sell it. Uh, that's just a name for a fund that, uh, you know, would basically be the recipient of your Uh, charitable gifts. In this case, it would take it in in the form of a a percentage of this real estate. And then when it's sold, the portion that was given to your donor advised fund would then be converted to cash. And then you could give it away as you saw fit. But that portion wouldn't be subject to capital gains tax. And so uh, you would not pay any tax on that, which would mean more money to be given away to the kingdom. Um, And does that sound like something you might be interested in? I think so,
0: because I think that, I mean, the buyer would have to be party to this, right? Because they would be paying the donor advice fund as well as me.
1: Yeah. Well, at closing, uh, they would just show up at the closing table and and basically fund the deal the same way they would have previously. It's just that a portion of the property is owned by your donor advised fund. So that portion of it's going to, the proceeds are going to go to your, uh, what's called your DAF and the other portion will come directly to you. But you could only do the percentage that's equal to what you were going to be giving away anyway. Stay on the line. I'll give you some more information on how you can at least check that out. Just understand if it's something that makes sense. We appreciate your call today. Well folks, uh, we are about out of time today but we appreciate so much all of your calls. you know here's what we want to do each day on this broadcast. We want to understand God's heart as it relates to our money because we know there's 2,300 verses in God's word that deal with money and possessions and the reason for that is because there's so much to say about our money, and our hearts and ultimately our walk with the Lord. And if you enjoyed the program, I hope you'll tell a friend about it and then plan on joining us again next time. We'll look for you then. God bless you. Bye-bye.
2: Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.